This podcast is brought to you by Lacrosse All-Stars, growing the game one podcast at a time. Hello everyone and welcome to the very first episode of the Know Your Game podcast presented by Lacrosse All-Stars. I'm Ryan Conwell, and I will be the host of this show as we go forward. Now, I'm really excited to bring this show to you for many reasons. One is I've grown to use podcasts quite a bit on my own. Um, You know, it's one of those things where, depending on the length of it and the type of content it is, sometimes I listen to it in my, you know, morning and afternoon commutes. Uh, Those are one excellent time of day that I almost always squeeze something in. Sometimes it's at the gym, and another great time is, you know, some longer drives when you can queue up a few of the, the longer episodes back-to-back and, uh, you know, driving to lacrosse games, of course. But as I have listened to them more and more, um, one of the things that I've really grown to like about them is it offers you a chance to have a really detailed, meaningful conversation with someone. So as we started putting the show together... It took some planning to really figure out what were we going to do that was different. Um, There's already a lot of lacrosse podcasts out there, so what was it that we could offer that wasn't necessarily there already? So in the lacrosse world, being as small as it is, you're going to wind up having the same people overlap. So you don't want to be having the same conversations with the same people over and over and just having our name on it. So what were we going to do that's different? Then that is what led us to the name Know Your Game. What we're really going to be doing with this podcast is having a lot of people on that you have heard about, some of them you haven't heard about. You know, some of the the big common names in the game, whether it's players, coaches, administrators, leaders, um, those in the industry, in the, you know, the, the good sector with equipment manufacturers or apparel. We're going to have a lot of them. Uh, those are those are people that a lot of us know, some of them you don't know. And we're also going to have a lot of people that you may have never heard of, but they're off growing the game somewhere and they have a fantastic story to share. So that's just one of the things that you can be excited listening in on those conversations as we do get a hold of them. The other big thing that I really felt this was one of the most important things with this podcast is focus on in-person interviews. Now, that's nothing to knock people that do primarily phone or Skype-based interviews. Um, I think if you are doing interviews where content matters in terms of delivery time, and what I mean there is if someone had a huge game, whether it's college, professional, international, and you want to talk to them about that game, you don't really have a choice if you don't live next to them already. You pretty much have to call them up and talk to them about it that way. But what we're trying to do with this show is really give you a better understanding of the sport. And that takes on several different forms. So as we start talking to people, it is going to be you know some larger conversations of how does a coach approach building a program, building a team, if that's what they do. How does a player build their career? Um, what lessons have they learned as they've progressed. Those conversations you can happen at any time. So what we're trying to do is really have conversations that are going to teach you more about the game. It might be 
a part of the game you're intimately familiar with already. It might be a part of it that you have no exposure to whatsoever. We really are going to try hard to have you know some excellent guests on with us and give you a chance to walk away from every episode having learned something new. I'm really excited for this project to really get going. So definitely send us your feedback. Let us know what you think. Um, you know, as we're putting the show together, as it grows, as we get more people on, we want these conversations to be meaningful for you. Make sure that you're learning something about the people we have on, learning about the game, and really learning about the larger world around you as well. So without much further ado, I'm going to cut over to our first interview. The first several interviews that we have for this were recorded at the lacrosse convention that was held in Baltimore in January of 2018. Some of them were held right there on the convention floor, so you know there is going to be a little bit more background noise than we are usually going to have, but that allowed us to meet with some really interesting people that I think you're going to enjoy. The first one is Sean Delaney. Sean is the executive director of the Philadelphia Wings, and he is a former collegiate player. He played in the MLL, and now he's helping run one of the newest NLL teams. So, you know, listen in, hear what Sean has to say, and welcome to the show. So this week's guest, we have Sean Delaney, who is working with the Philadelphia Wings, and just wanted to welcome you here, Sean. We're meeting at the... U.S. Lacrosse Convention, or LAXCON, as we like to uh, talk about it. Um, so, Sean, why don't you just really quick introduce yourself, you know, quick quick little resume, what's your background, and we can uh, start talking about the wings. Yeah, no, thanks for, uh, for bringing me in studio here today. It's an exciting weekend for the sport of lacrosse. So, Sean Delaney, um, my role with Philadelphia Wings is the executive director. Um, so if you think about it from a team sport, it's essentially team president overseeing all things on the lacrosse side of it. So hiring GM, head coach, uh, managing player salaries, all of those things on the lacrosse side of things. Uh, a little bit about my background from the Pennsylvania area. I grew up in New Jersey, played lacrosse there, went on to play uh, at the University of North Carolina. I uh, was a two-time All-American there. I uh, was fortunate enough to be drafted by the Denver Outlaws, uh, so I played a few years out there in the MLL. All right. Now, this role with the Wings, um, what are some of the, the daily responsibilities that you have with that? Because, you know, that's uh, it, everyone's familiar with what the GM is. A lot of these other front office positions are, you know, a little bit cloudier. So why don't you, like, help explain a little bit of w- what it is that you're really doing with that organization right now? Yeah, it's, it's funny. In, in the sports world, almost every single day is going to be different. And then multiply that by this is essentially a startup. So... Every day is absolutely different. Uh, So today uh, at the U.S. Lacrosse Convention, exciting time for our franchise. So we're going to be naming the the head coach and general manager. So for today, that's going to be my major task. Um, If you look at some other days, it might be reaching out to youth programs who might be season ticket holders. It might be landing certain sponsors. It might be going to an NCAA game to scout a potential uh, prospect. So every single day is going to be a little bit different. Um, and just kind of using the resources we have in our organization and also outside of it to make sure we're making the most of all those little decisions. So, I mean, that's a lot. Like you said, it's a startup. Uh, Not many people have experience building a professional lacrosse team or even a professional sports team. Most franchises in any league have been there. Um, 
how do you really get involved in something like that? So, like, how did this this opportunity come up, and how did you, you know, get into this role? So, like, what was your work experience like, and, you know, what was the actual process like to, you know, interview and ultimately wind up with, with the Wings? Yep, yeah, I always, when I'm talking to college kids, high school kids, it's all about relationships. Uh, so, with my playing career, I was fortunate enough to make a lot of great relationships, uh, so, when I was playing uh, in the MLL, I also got a job with Nike. I was managing their uh, West Coast lacrosse division for their retail and also team sales. So that took my territory from Chicago all the way out to San Diego. So I spent a number of years out there uh, really understanding the intricacies of the lacrosse business. And that also led into the whole club coaching culture as well, uh, which gave me a lot of knowledge in this industry, also in the PA region. So my wife and I, we ended up moving back to where we're from originally, which is New Jersey area, Pennsylvania area, and running a bunch of the clubs out there, camps, clinics, things like that, and uh, started the network and different relationships that I built over that time with people. And so when Comcast was looking at bringing back the wings, uh, it was it was funny. I was just having some some off-the-cuff conversations with some people, uh, almost advising in a certain role. And then when those conversations with the M- NLL became more realistic, uh, that's when they brought me on full-time to be the executive director for them. It's actually interesting that you had all that experience with the clubs because I know, um, you know I'm based up in the Boston area, and the Boston Cannons, for example, work a lot with local youth organizations um, as well as you know they have clubs that they work with in the off-season that they run clinics through, and there's there's a really big partnership there. Um, is that something that you think is really fundamental to professional lacrosse at this point, is getting that grassroots involvement from the established organizations uh, compared to more of a generic marketing, you know, strategy so you know we're working with those relationships that you've already built in the you know south jersey philly area yeah no um absolutely essential for the success of our organization the way we see it uh, we want to be highly entertaining we want to be competitive but then the third component of that is we want to be entrenched in our community um so that grassroots approach is really important to us it's it's one of our core competencies it's what we focus on every single day in the office how do we have those youth kids those travel teams those rec programs all involved as much as possible because not only are we trying to build our organization but we understand the box game and how we want to grow it in the community and you've seen organizations like u.s box love uh, in the local communities fusions the nxts they're really starting to build this box game and we're seeing the kids absolutely love it so the more we can expose those youth players to it the more it's going to help the game then also help us be a more successful organization all right so since you mentioned box experience like yeah. i gotta mention you did play in the mll um mm-hmm. you don't have any professional indoor experience so really from the the nll from a a work you know did, did you maybe play some indoor you know when you were either growing up or in college or even you know post-collegiate uh, you know, what is your box experience like if it's not professional level? Do you have any background there? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And in terms of professional level box experience, no. Even youth, we basically played a hybrid version of the box. And so, I mean, this could kind of be viewed two ways, an absolute negative, no experience. And I hope, I hope and also the people who put me in this position also entrust in me is having kind of an outsider's perspective on it. And then, obviously, our key consumer right now is going to be the field player in the American side of things. So those are the people buying our tickets. So if I can really identify with them and articulate their needs, it's going to help in our overall strategy and our brand strategy. And then in terms of the box side for 
both scouting, building a team. Uh, the way we view the team is we're trying to create an unreal culture and organization. Um, so in terms of identifying the top talent and grooming that talent, I'm putting people in place that are going to be the best at that. And so our, our new dual role general manager and head coach, Paul Day, uh, 25 plus years experience him and his scouts and the team he's putting together uh, is going to be top-notch so I really entrust him from the box side of things now when you look at what the owners are doing so the owners are Comcast um, you're bringing in someone you know like Paul Day you said he's extremely experienced um, really knows what he's talking about within the box world how much are they really going to be leveraging his knowledge to say you know, tell us what to do and you know, we'll try to work off of that versus you know, how much are they really just trying to run it like a business. You know, so the fact that you don't have detailed box experience yourself and you're in a leadership position in that front office, um, is that an ongoing negative or is it just they need to focus on you know, the on-the-floor product and you guys focus on getting people in the seats? Is it? You know, how, how does yeah. that split happen? Yeah, no, you, you kind of identified that uh, Paul and his staff is really going to be focused on that on-field talent and grooming that talent. Um, when you look at the on-field talent, it's going to be my responsibility is to put them in, in the best position possible. So one of the cool things we have is we're already built out our own training facility, so that's in conjunction with the Flyers. So our ownership group is Comcast Spectacore. Comcast also owns uh, the Philadelphia Flyers, so we get to tap into their resources. So our training facility, which we think is going to be a huge draw, not only for the players we're trying to bring in, obviously many of them will be Canadian-based players, but also what we talked about earlier was that youth component. So we have a training facility where every single day we're having hundreds of youth kids from the community not only practicing their skill sets, but now they're getting exposed to our, our organization and our players as well. So that's one of my key focuses right now is really building that cult like following with the youth and then also tapping that in with local business leaders, communities to put more people in seats. Um, can you talk about that training facility a little bit more? Because that actually sounds interesting. A few NLL teams do have them. Yep. I think of you know Toronto. Vancouver has a great one. Um, Toronto is probably the you know the flagship that everyone points to because they run so much through there and it you know it, it's a great asset for the league. Um, if you're sharing with the Flyers, is it the sort of thing where it's ice one day, turf the next day, or like what is the setup sort of like? Yeah, so it's it's in uh, Voorhees, New Jersey. It's the Flyer Skate Zone. So there's two full ice rinks. That's what the Flyers use for their practice time, their training, and then there's also uh, one other box. And so this, what we redid, it was one of those multi-sport surfaces, and we re-turfed it and all specifications. Um, so this is fully box lacrosse, essentially. We'll have a few other sports like soccer using it randomly, but this is mostly 100% dedicated box lacrosse space, and you just don't really see that in the States at all. So that's been a major focus of ours. We came in saying, if we really want to grow this organization, we've got to start it from the, the youth level, and that's what we're really focusing on right now. So how much of an emphasis is there going to be in local players? Because um, I know, you know from my standpoint, being in the media, everyone always likes to talk about in professional lacrosse, whether it's indoor or outdoor, there's always a premium on local players. A lot of teams and coaches try to de-emphasize that as much as possible because they want the right people there. It doesn't matter if they're a flight away or not. But when you get that local practice facility, that starts mattering a little bit more, especially if there are facilities for them to get their workouts in there. Maybe they don't have to go to a gym. They can work out with their teammates. 
builds chemistry. You know, they can stop by every day, get some shots in on an actual box so that they're not just playing wall ball, you know, next to their apartment, wherever they might be. Um, Do you know if there is going to be some sort of emphasis like that on local talent on the team? Yep. Yeah, I mean, I I can't predict the future in terms of how the draft plays out, but in terms of what we're trying to do as an organization, and we're already working with uh, apartment housing complexes, other businesses that these players, if they want extra work outside of the actual sport, we're putting them in those in those relationships so that way they can move to Philadelphia, live in this community, and be absolutely entrenched with this. Not only from the community standpoint, which is going to result in having a better fan base, but like you talked about, team chemistry. If you have a dozen to 15 guys living in market, they're training together every day, they're getting their extra shots in the box, I mean, it's going to be essential to build a winning franchise there. So, yep, that's a key focus for ours. So when you played in the MLL, you were out in Denver, which is you know almost the gold standard in professional lacrosse for consistency. I think they've missed the playoffs once. Um, is there anything that you learned from that experience, whether it is like what they did well with team chemistry, um, how they ran things organizationally that – um, you are trying to, you know, pull in a little bit to what you're doing with the wings at all. Yeah, no, certainly. Um, any any position I've been in, and I was fortunate enough to play in the MLL. I was always trying to learn as much as possible, not only from becoming a better lacrosse player, but also, all right, we were very fortunate that it was under Denver Broncos ownership, and so the VP of the Broncos, Mac Friedman, was someone who was out at every single practice. He'd be out with us after the game, so I tried to learn as much from Mac as humanly possible during my time there. Um, so from a front office executive standpoint, I really took a lot of my lessons I'm using today from Mac and then also from building a team chemistry standpoint. I mean, we had some of the, the best leaders you could hope to have. Guys like Lee Zink really come to front of mind. Uh, guys like Jesse Schwartzman, Brendan Mundorf, and they really built that team camaraderie. And I saw what it meant to really be a true professional in that role. So kind of taking little things from each of them I saw them do over the years and now implementing that into our team. Awesome. Um, when when you talk about that, the, you know the Denver Broncos being involved too, um, and you try to equate that to the Flyers relationship that you have. What other stuff really behind the scenes are you leveraging from that existing organization? Uh, obviously, their facilities are one part of it, but what about just from you know the, the front office aspect of it? You know, what what types of things are you? doing with them yeah so we have a few exciting things first off i I have to credit my counterpart uh lindsey massiangelo she's the executive director of business operations side of things and her experience her knowledge her leadership uh, she's been vp of marketing she's been with the flyers she's been with the sixers so understanding that philadelphia market she does better than anyone else uh so tremendous props to her what she's doing how she's leading what she's bringing on on that side of things has been awesome to see and then our boss, um, Sean Tilger, so he's the COO uh, for the Flyers. He's been in the industry 25-plus years. Uh, he's been through it all. He's seen it all, and he's someone that we're talking with every single day in his office every single day. Um, so I'm so fortunate that we get to learn from him and then tap into his resources. So you asked about those resources, and even small things. Last night at the Flyers game, it was the Eric Lindros retirement jersey night. So being able to see the production side of things, what they're doing in stadium to really create this cool atmosphere. I mean, we're tapping into all that marketing, um, production side of things, anything you could imagine, we're making sure to leverage that asset. 
when you think about the comparison between what you're doing with the Wings and, you know, retiring Eric Lindros' jersey. I mean, the, the guy is an absolute legend in the sport. The Flyers have been around Philly forever. There's a really ingrained fan base. Um, are you able to capture any of that from the pre-existing Wings fan base? Or um, I also just think about Philly as just a great sports town in general, too. Uh, so what are you guys able to do there? Because you know, with the Flyers, there's already so much built-in collateral mm-hmm. that they have. Um, how can you try to leverage some of that to help build the Wings again? Yeah. No, I mean, just having the ownership group be the same. Um, so we're on the concourse every single night uh, for the Flyers games, which is awesome from a ticket sales standpoint. Uh, we're getting marketing inside the stadium every single night as well. Um, but you really ask about those those Wings fans and, and kind of the built-in culture that was already there. Um, so when we did our logo and naming announcement where we had a parachuter fly in, we had the Wings fan club there. So they had the W-I-N-G-S Wings chants going like crazy. Um, and then also to speak to the alumni uh, how receptive they've been it's been absolutely incredible so you look at a guy like scott gabrielson who has been there every step of the way from us uh checking out the training facility he came there on our unveiling uh when we did the team name logo things like that he's there he's signing autographs for for those fans and then he's kind of just helping assist us in any way possible we also had guys like legendary hollywood tom marichek he came up and he did a camp for our youth fans so we have all these guys in the community guys like jake berge they're always there willing to help out so we've done couple alumni things we have more planned for the coming months as well and the, the cool thing is how many of them are still in the community they're coaching you look at guys like chris bates and they're all right here still coaching so it's pretty cool to see it's actually interesting you mentioned marichek too because i think he's uh, also doing a presentation here so mm-hmm. you definitely got some good uh, wings branding going on yeah. at, the, <laughs> at the lacrosse convention this year um, I, I do I do find it interesting with the alumni aspect of it, too, because that's something you don't hear about too much in professional lacrosse. Um, I know the MLL, they recently started doing like a, a Legends game up in Placid, which has been pretty interesting. Um, I do also like the Buffalo Bandits have started buying into much more of this alumni thing. Uh, I think their jersey, recently they were listing like every name on there um they also had an alumni game do you think you actually have enough of a true base of guys that played in philly and identify as wings players to really continue that strong advocacy for the club yeah absolutely no doubt about it um i think there's kind of a few things here when you think about the professional lacrosse world and not having a strong alumni resource essentially is the outdoor game is much younger than the indoor game. Indoor game has been around for over 30 years with the, with the NLL. Um, so we have that history here with the Philadelphia Wings, which has just given us access to more players over time, more championships over time that are still fully entrenched in the community. And, and the other side of that coin is Philadelphia like, Philadelphia, like you mentioned, is a unique sports community. And so we have this loyal fan base that these players love being a part of. And when you're playing in that atmosphere – you only want to be more of a part of it moving forward. And I think Philadelphia has really done a unique job over the years creating that culture, which is why our fans love our players so much. And in return, our players want to do as much giving back to those fans as humanly possible. So I think the draw now moving forward that the Wings are back is you have players in the NLL or young guys ex- inspired to be an NLL player. They see what it's like to be. I mean, you're treated like a professional athlete when you come to the city of Philadelphia and guys want to be a part of that. 
When you talk about the history of a club, too, and really having those long-term fans, do you have any whispers right now of who might be a, uh, a rival for Philly? Because, again, Philly sports, they love rivals. You got Dallas Week. You got the Giants. You know, it, it, it's not pretty. <laughs> um, when you talk about the NLL, I know there's a lot of history with uh, New England. Um, you know, kind of ingrained with the, the last Wings franchise moving up there. I've also been at, um, you know, when the Wings were still around, I was at Rochester, Philly games. Those were always brutal. You have the Bandits who have been around forever. Do you have any rumblings right now of who uh, those, those Wings fanatics might be pegging as a certain team to, to turn out for? Yeah, we, we have no idea what the future is going to look like with that, but it was funny the uh – the day we announced that the Wings were coming back, I'm pretty sure it was Buffalo took a few jabs at us, and, and now we have a, a new digital media person who is having some fun with some of the other organizations uh, in the league. So it'll, it'll be cool to see over the next few years both those existing rivalries and then which new ones form. You've got teams like San Diego coming in, and Nick Sakevich, our commissioner, has mentioned and alluded to potentially over the next few years bringing on some more. So it'll be cool to see those new rivalries that form as well. Yeah, it, it's something that I just can't wait to see. Um, I mistakenly went to the last Wings game that, without knowing it. Like a lot of people, I was in town for Philly, and it was amazing that even though they were in you know, their final days, none of the fans knew it, but people were still absolutely into it. So I could, I could feel how heartbroken they were when that team did move up there. Um, based on what you've seen so far, do you have any hard feelings from the fan base, or are they just like, all right, wings are back, let's go? If the So we did a, a public voting for what the team name would be, and if the name didn't come back as the wings, I think they're... <laughs> There, there, there might have been some burning of the Wells Fargo Center by some of those wings. Uh, nice nice big parking lot for some bonfires. Though. Yeah, but no, they've been absolutely incredible. From every event we've done, from the logo unveiling to the training center unveiling, they've been there, and they're actually coming down today to the U.S. Lacrosse Convention to support the wings. So it, it's a unique group, and, I mean, they've been tremendous, so we can't thank them enough. So I'm curious, which jerseys do you see more of, the black and silver or the uh, the black and red and the more recent ones? You know, are these... It's, it's funny you bring that up. So we did the, uh, the unveiling of the training center, and these fan club members, they wanted to pull out their greatest pieces of apparel. So some <laughs> of the legendary things that we saw, the best was, I'm trying to remember who had it on, but it, would, it must have been this 20-year-old Wings leather letterman's jacket, which oh, I wow. hadn't seen before. So that was pretty <laughs> impressive. So we did see plenty of the black and silver there, which is always great to see. That actually makes me think... Um, the fact that you're bringing back the franchise does that mean that you're gonna have all the existing records and you know that that franchise history that comes along with that such as you know jerseys to put up in the rafters and all all that extra stuff too yeah we're we're trying to build this new organization as well and create our own our own culture and our own identity but we'd be remiss if we didn't bring back the previous history for some of those legendary players like we've mentioned those retired jerseys those championships yep you still will see those that's awesome yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it, it it's really going to be something i can't imagine what that first first night game back is going to be like and that's why i also have to you know laugh thinking about who the rivalry is going to be with because you know 
who does that first game get to be? You know, I think there's a lot of teams that would love to be, you know, the first game back down in Philly. You know, definitely Buffalo would certainly be up there. I also wouldn't be surprised if uh, San Diego wanted to make a play for it as, you know, the other expansion cousin of yours. Certainly, yeah, <laughs> a lot of options here for uh, for year one between us. Um, looking back to something you said earlier about, you know, working under the COO of the Flyers, Um what is that relationship like between the ownership, you know, like, I guess the, the structure of the organization, I guess, is what I'm getting at. Um, you know, are you almost like another group under the Flyers, or is it, um, you know, kind of like a sister company sort of thing where you're under uh, under the Comcast umbrella that you just work closely with the Flyers. You know, how, how do you kind of look at that relationship? Yeah, I'd almost say it's it's more like we're a sister company. We work under the main one, which is Comcast Spectacore. So to kind of speak how cool and unique it is to work uh, in this environment for the Wings right now, so someone we're in meetings with almost on a weekly basis is Dave Scott, who's the CEO of Comcast Spectacore, which is a Fortune 10 company in the world. So to be having those meetings with someone and seeing his true interest in the sport of lacrosse is pretty cool. Um, and then, like you mentioned, we get to work alongside of the Flyers and really tap into their resources. We bounce all ideas off of each other. And then just under the leadership as well of Sean Tilger, who, who's been around the sports world for years and can just show us so much. So it's kind of a unique atmosphere for us. So this is definitely not just a, a pet project of someone with a sports wing. I mean, this is a, a serious investment they're making. Correct, yeah. Um, when I was having my meetings with Sean prior, months, months before this was ever announced, uh, we sat down with Dave Scott, and Dave said, I love this sport. He goes, if this team cannot be one of the top teams in the NLL, I have no interest in doing this. I want to be fully ingrained in this, and he has been every single step of the way. Uh, on September 18th of this year, when we announced the, the franchise was coming back, he was there on the podium talking to it. And, I mean, he's a full believer in the NLL and also what we plan on doing as the Philadelphia Wings. I have a feeling any Philly fan listening to this just got a huge grin across their face when you said that. Yeah, <laughs> certainly, yep. All right. Now, I'm going to jump over to a couple fun questions before we uh, round things out here. Okay. First off. What was the last lacrosse game you watched for fun? As someone that now works in the industry full time, um, you know you were a pretty high level college player, so you know there's a lot of effort that goes into those games, a lot of scouting, professional players, same sort of thing. You're watching game film. When was the last time you really just you know sat back and enjoyed what you were taking in? Um, yeah, it was definitely going to be the the UNC Tar Heels national championship. So, uh, Coach Bresch, sentimental pick, yeah, sentimental pick for sure. And I, I don't care if I get flack for that one, but a, a guy like Joe Bresci who taught me so much over my two years with him, I I can't speak highly enough of him. So seeing him win that championship with those guys, knowing how much effort he's put into that, uh, that was just unbelievable to see. I think they'll be back. I do, yeah. The, the culture that he's built down there and continue to build on top of. Uh, I'm heading down there in a few weeks um, from to scout both the NLL and then also check out the Tar Heels. So looking forward to that. All right, awesome. Um, all right, this is just a silly question. What's something that this week is just making you laugh, whether it's like a pop culture thing, a stupid YouTube video, some meme that's come out? What's uh What's just something weird that's going on right now that you just, every single time you think of it, it just kind of makes you giggle a little bit? Yeah, no, uh, this, this question makes me think that maybe I need to add a little bit more, more comedy to my life and, and, <laughs> and watch a few more cat YouTube videos. But uh, 
I got to go see Jerry Seinfeld up in New York this summer. Oh, and, awesome. And uh, just seeing the legendary Jerry Seinfeld. So flipped on, uh, what was it, Comedians in Cars the other night. And so watching him execute some of his jokes and, and just the vibrancy he has in life just cracks me up every time. So anything Seinfeld's doing, I'm in for. I can do that. I've seen Seinfeld live. He's, he's, he's pretty outstanding. Yeah, <laughs> as, yeah. As he's a pure stand-up. It goes well beyond just the show he had. Um, all right. Within lacrosse, what do you think needs to be discussed more in the national conversation? So, you know, there's always some big topics out there, but what's something that you think might get a little overlooked? You have a lot of experience with club, you work professionally, you have experience with college. You know, what's something that you don't think gets the visibility that it should? Yeah, no, it's it's tough because didn't work for a number of years on the club side of things. And while I love that all-star type atmosphere, it's unfortunate because we're seeing some of these numbers of sport not growing in certain areas, and that's largely because you have a kid who might try to play for one year, and instead of being able to play kind of at that non-hyper competitive atmosphere and really just get to learn the sport, they're automatically being forced in the scenario where if they're not an all-star in year one, they don't get to play in year two. And it's really disconcerting and sad to see at this time. So I, I wish that there was more of a focus to kind of get away from that all-star academy in the fourth, fifth, sixth grade and let the kids enjoy the sport. I mean, when, when I was growing up, I mean, that's, that's what it was. It was out in the backyard having fun with your friends, your teammates, and I, I just want to see more of that as opposed to the pressure I'm seeing on some of these young kids. It's, it, it's so frustrating when I have a fifth grader coming up to me and his parents are trying to say, no, he's going to be a FOGO. And I'm saying he's in the fifth grade. Let him learn multiple positions. So kind of tapping back into that that youth atmosphere and really making it more enjoyable and less competitive for these yeah. kids. I, I'm absolutely with you on that, too. That's um, that's actually a big reason why I asked that question about what was the last game you watched for fun because I think there's a lot of people that are so involved in the game at this point that they tend to look past the fact that this is just an awesome sport. Yeah. I mean, if you just sit back and just – don't try to overanalyze what's going on, what players doing what, what the coach is saying, and you just like take in the game. It's just fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned fun, and I'd have to bring this up. So, uh, Casey Powell was in in Philadelphia a few months ago, so we had him do a camp, and just seeing his pure love and passion for the sport, it was so awesome. The clinic ended, and he must have stuck around for an hour just doing yep. stick tricks with the kids. And when I first met him, he did the exact same thing. I was in the sixth grade. It was at an all-star game, and he just he hung out. He, he was playing around, and you got to see more of that, more of that backyard lacrosse. Yeah. Casey's one of those guys. Um, I, I actually wound up playing against him in more or less a pickup game the same year he was an MVP in the NLL. So when he was with the Titans and you know playing at the absolute top of his game, weeknight he was going on playing pickup. Yeah. Like that, that's, it's, he's one of those guys that does just love the game. He and does. They're, yep. they're out there. It's great to hear that he's still doing that too with the clinics that he's running oh, yeah. around the country. Um, all right, so other side of this. Anyway, yeah, I ask you what needs to be talked about more. What do you think has too much emphasis? So something that people tend to bring up a lot that you just kind of roll your eyes and say, all right, come on, this is, why are we spending so much time talking about this? There's probably a laundry list of things. I mean, I could bring up the shot clock. Um, one thing I feel, it's, it's kind of funny too, the thing you're always hearing about is all of these people are multi-sport, multi-sport, multi-sport. And I feel like almost to succeed today, a lot of these players aren't playing multi-sports. And so it's kind of that, that double-edged sword where you have these players that are, if they're making it to the top of lacrosse. So maybe instead of 
just focusing on those dual sport athletes, actually truly seeing what's really the most beneficial. And I don't know if that's being a dual sport up until a certain point, whether that's freshman, sophomore year of high school, where then they really narrow in on their niche sport. So that's just one thing I feel like you, you hear certain times and then not other times. Yeah, and and I do know there are de- you have some company there too. I've, I've seen that come up in conversation a lot with others that, um, you know, people talk out of both sides of their mouth with the multi-sport thing exactly i I want you playing other sports but um when are you going to be at this recruiting tournament (laughs) on saturday in november because i got to be able to see you play yeah like i I play football (laughs) yeah these these players and their parents are getting handcuffed at certain times so all right um last question this this one's going to be kind of fun all right you go you win the lottery um after taxes you're absolutely loaded with money you buy all the houses you want to buy you do whatever whatever you're going to do to be nice and happy for the rest of your life your family's all set and then you have 50 million dollars sitting off to the side to do anything with it can be professional level youth level college international men's women's but you're going to do something with the sport of lacrosse and you get 50 million how do you do it? Do you spread it around? Do you go one area? Um, what do you think would be the best way to do it? That's a really good question. A lot of different paths I feel like my, my head goes to right away. Um, if you think about other sports, NBA, NFL, a lot of times if you ask those players why they started playing that, um, they could identify a certain player at a professional level. And so whether it was a young basketball kid growing up, maybe right now it's uh, LeBron James and Steph Curry, and they aspire to be that. Um, In lacrosse, I don't know if that's true. I don't know. When I was a young player, uh, it was more of those college guys I was aspiring to be. And so if we want to grow this game, I think it is important to develop this professional lacrosse and where guys can actually make a full-time salary. So $50 I think, can go a long way, and it would almost – being able to compensate these players where they can play full-time but not only are they playing full-time it goes back to that original point about that youth component and I would like to see if we have these guys and are able to fund them in a league where they can support themselves then they have a requirement to be involved in those communities being out there coaching those those youth kids and really funding the development of that youth program I think that would be really cool to see where you have this amazing pro league where these young players are aspiring to be. And then during the weekday, the player they're aspiring to be, they're out there coaching their team. I, I would like to kind of take the money and, and build something like that. All right. I like it. Um, so that's all the questions I have for you today. Um, I definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your, your busy weekend. I know you guys have a lot going on right now, getting the team up and running. So, you know, thanks for stopping by. And, uh definitely good luck with the wings we'll be watching very closely (laughs) great thank you so much yeah you can check us out at wingslax.com and follow us at nll wings on social media all right thanks again sean delaney philadelphia wings all right well thank you very much for listening in that's all we have for this week's show and remember you can always check us out at laxallstars.com you can also see us on you know any of the major social media sites you go to instagram twitter facebook you just look us up there lacrosse all-stars or lax all-stars and you know keep up to date with the game and see what we have so until next time keep growing the game